Welcome to FinTech Insider Interviews. I'm Sam Mall, the managing partner for 11FS Americas. It's my pleasure to be joined by Eric Qualman. Eric is a best-selling author, Pulitzer Prize nominee, by the way, and one of the best speakers I've ever had the pleasure of having to do a keynote following him, which I highly recommend no one ever does. Eric, welcome to FinTech Insiders. No, thanks, Sam. It's great to be here. Also, probably the greatest person I've ever seen wearing incredibly bright green glasses. So I have to ask where the green glasses came from. Is that a Michigan State thing? Is that just a fashion choice? Now we do love Michigan State. Uh, and I'll try to keep this story as tight as possible. But because of my name, Eric Qualman, when you think about email addresses, it's equal man. And so my whole life I've been Equal Man. And at the beginning, I didn't like it. I hated it because you walk in any meeting, they go, hey, Equal Man will solve for it. You want to get coffee? Equal Man's fast. He'll get it. But long story longer is that when my book started to take off, I did an interview and the magazine wanted to take a photo. And they said, hey, since you have this superhero-like moniker, do you mind if you wear some Clark Kent-like glasses for the picture? I go, no, let's have some fun. And they go, do you mind since St. Patrick's Day is coming up if they're green? And I go, no, let's have some fun. They bring out the glass. They go, whoa, those are really bright green. And then I don't think anything of it. They do the photo shoot. The magazine comes out. A couple of weeks later, I fly to Kenya to give a talk. And the night before, I'm going to a, a rescue shelter to adopt a baby cheetah, because that's what they have, cheetahs and lions, kind of help the area. Not to take home with me. My wife would kill me if I took a cheetah back to the house but really just to support the local area. And on the way over, uh, the woman that I'm with that, that was there when I landed says, you know, Usain Bolt, the Olympian, was here the other day, and he adopted from the same litter of cheetahs that you're going to adopt from. And we filmed him. We'd like to film you and kind of put it together to help support the shelter. And I go, that sounds great. Let's do it. And then she looks at me and goes, but obviously when we film you, we really want you to have your trademark green glasses on. <laughs> <laughs> and I looked at her and said, oh, my gosh, I don't wear those green glasses every day. I look like an idiot wearing green glasses, walk around like that. And she looked at me and said, no, that's what everyone in Kenya thinks you look like. And so I've been stuck wearing the green glasses. Ironically, it's apropos to what I talk about, about talking about stepping into discomfort, especially when it comes to digital leadership, is that it's really taught me, and it's not why I do it, but it's taught me to walk in discomfort each and every day, meaning that we lose some business because people go, whoa, why would we have this person with these crazy bright green glasses come and give a talk? Uh, but we gain a lot more business because of it, because people now can recognize the green glasses. We've had some fun with it. So I'm, I'm going to ask you a tough question. And I've asked this from a couple of other people. This includes Tom Peters, Gary Vaynerchuk, and a couple others. Because you are known as, you're, you're a best-selling author. You are a, a highly sought-after motivational speaker. You're a businessman. If you had to pick one of those three, which one would you pick? Where do you get your passion from? Gosh, uh, and I don't, I don't like this answer because you never want to be like, yes, yeah. but I think it's not what my choice is. It's really the audience's choice because my whole thing is, can I empower you? Can I entertain, educate, empower? Maybe that's one person. Maybe that's hopefully our goal, $7 billion by the time things are all said and done. But it's, what's your medium of choice? You know, whether it's a book, whether it's on stage and so... It's just really how do you want to digest it? And so the one that's the longest of those in terms of that has the most shelf life, no pun intended, is a book. The beautiful thing about writing a book is that you could be long gone and it's still there. You could argue that you have film as well. But it's really just the short answer is that it's actually less about me and more about 
the recipient? How do they want to digest it? And that's changing constantly depending on the, the day and age and also the, the individual. That was a really good answer, by the way. That's like saying, who's your favorite kid, right? Which you never <laughs> ever answer that question to. Um, but, it, but it is interesting because in business, as in anything, timing is everything. I mean, you had a successful career, but then I think it was around, what, 2007 when you wrote Social Economics? I get the timing right? Yeah, yeah, it's about right, right around there. Yep, Social yeah. Economics is right around uh, there, yes. Yeah, nice timing, by the way. There's a couple things going on in the world around then, especially in, in, in the industry 11FS covers, which is financial services. But if you don't mind, start with that book that you wrote. And, and really, where'd you get the idea and, and what motivated you to write that? And so it's easier looking back to look at it and not know at the time. What motivated me the most, and someone a lot smarter than, than I am told me this once, and said there's two reasons you write a book. You either write it because you want to change yourself, or the second reason is you want to change the world. And so when I looked at it, I could see in my mind, I saw social media coming because MySpace was the biggest thing at the time. Funny to look back, it was MySpace. And then so I started to see this thing coming. I'm talking about it to people and people just aren't grasping it. They're saying, no, it's just for kids and, I, and teenagers. I go, no, this thing's going to be massive. I mean, it's going to be changing politics and government. And so the more I got frustrated with trying to explain this, then a friend of mine saw me on stage. And so... At the time, I was the head of marketing at TravelZoo, so speaking at a lot of search conferences because we bought millions and millions of dollars worth of search. So people want to know, how do I buy search better? Because that was the, the white hot topic. How do I do paid and organic search? And since we were one of the pioneers and bought so much, they wanted to hear how we do it. So I'm at all these search conferences, and I started talking about social media. And honestly, the crowds start to dwindle. I'm a non-paid speaker at these events at this time. We're just trying to promote the TravelZoo brand as we go public. And so I'm a non-paid speaker and the crowd starts to dwindle because I'm talking about social when people think that's just for teenagers. And fortunately, one of my friends, Tim Ash, who was a published author says, hey, you know, I know people think you're crazy talking about this stuff, that it's for business and politics, but go talk to my publisher. And so I was in New York already for something else and talked to the publisher. And keep in mind, I'd written a fiction book that had thousands of rejection letters so now I go to this publisher and I didn't know that that rejection, that failure at help set me up for this meeting. And that meeting takes 20 minutes and we sign a deal to get social nomics out there. And it's really the reason I wrote the book was I go, you got to understand this stuff's coming. And so it's just in me to get it down on paper. And that was the best medium at the time to get it out there. And fortunately it was the right place, right time. And, and things took off from there. And not a one hit wonder either, right? Best-selling author in 2015, if I read this correctly, um, and I love the title of the book, What Happens in Vegas Stays on YouTube, you were nominated for a Pulitzer. That's going to be kind of nice. Yeah, no, it's great. I mean, especially that book's really just in my DNA because it's really trying to help people understand that, you know, your reputation, that word is really dying uh, because it's really personal branding. But personal branding is the same as reputation. And that book, What Happens in Vegas Stays on YouTube, is all around how to produce your best and protect your best reputation, understanding that more and more your reputation is really your online reputation or your online personal brand. So uh, that's kind of my love to just to be able to help uh, the younger generation. So that's been fun to watch. The universities asked us and the, the high schools asked us to write one specific for students. So that's when we came out with what happens on campus stays on YouTube. So yeah, it's got to be cool being nominated for a Pulitzer, but then 
Uh, the one I would probably be more cool with my kids for, you were voted the second most likable author in the world behind J.K. Rowling with Harry Potter. That's slightly odd, don't you think? I mean, good on you, but that's a little bit <laughs> odd. I'd have a t-shirt. No, I love it. It's the one time you throw yourself COVID in second place. It's great. It was a distant, very distant second. And I love it because I think my mom even voted for J.K. Rowling because oh, wow. she's a huge oh, wow. Harry Potter fan. Aren't we all I'm a huge Harry Potter fan? I've read the whole series just recently to my daughters. But yeah, no, it's been fun. And just like, we're number two. Uh, so it's, <laughs> it's been fun. It's great. From our audience standpoint, you're, you're looking at a lot of FinTech folks. You're looking at a lot of folks in banking, financial services, and insurance. But what you talk about, it's part of the DNA. I mean, it just is, especially when you talk about digital and social so when you look back at your work and, and your ethos that you have regarding digital, how do you weave that in when you talk about financial services? And I love that you were your last book um, or your book with Vegas, you were talking about privacy and your social reputation, which is something I, I talk about all the time. But when you look at the banking industry, for example, and you look at what the change has happened in the U.S., do you think they've grasped that well? I think some have and some haven't. And it's, it's interesting because I've been yeah. very fortunate to be across all these different industries. They're basically 90% the same. There's differences and nuances, obviously, when you have rules and regulations. And I've read FINRA and also SEC dug into it because being in the top 50 institutions, I've been in front of them. And so it's really fascinating to see that world and dive into that world and learn from all these thought leaders while I'm backstage and also at the cocktail receptions to figure out what they're wrestling with and, and to kind of hear what they're wrestling with is actually the same thing that some folks on the Facebook, the Googles, the Snapchats of the world are also wrestling with. And so it's a different beast because of all the regulation. But the one thing we I'll, I'll be remiss if I didn't say this, I love regulation. I'm not a masochist. I love industries that have regulation because it allows you to have a bigger delta over the competition. Because what they'll say, and I've seen it firsthand, especially in the financial industry, is that some people just use that as an excuse and go, well, my compliance officer says I can't do that, so I'm not going to do it. Meanwhile, the top of the top go, wait, let me dig into this further. There's got to be a way to work with this and work within this. And then they do, and they get super far ahead of the competition. So uh, when it comes to regulation, whether that's in the financial industry or whether that's in the healthcare industry, you name it, I actually do love regulation because it allows you to get a bigger delta over your competition. Just to kind of go off on a rabbit trail for a second and drive my producers nuts, when you look at the, the social fabric in the U.S. right now, for example, there's a lot of eyes going over on, on big tech, you know, whether that be Facebook or Twitter or any of these others where in reality, we don't have much regulation. Do you think that's a fit for those areas too, especially when it comes to, you know, the impact <laughs> on us. <laughs> if we know what we're doing, it's similar to government by government. It's a whole nother rat hole, but government by government, some are laying their own fiber. And so is that a good thing? It is if the government's good. If the government's really efficient, it's good that you have your government lay the fiber. If they don't know what they're doing, then that's a problem. But just really super high level, I think the one mistake we're making is we're trying to force blame on certain things. And really, when you think about it, I like to think of big tech or social media, whatever you want to categorize it as, is it's a scalpel. And so if you have a scalpel, a sharp knife, that can really help save someone's life in surgery. 
But guess what? On the other side, it also takes someone's life. But the problem isn't the scalpel. It's how we use it. And so we've got to understand that and that Facebook's not the one that's promoting hate. These tools, Instagram's not the one promoting hate. It's just exposing us as a human race. Obviously, hate gets the big thing in the news. But if you look at it, the good always outnumbers the bad. And so that's when we did the Vegas book. We always layered in every other one. Here's a negative story. Here's a positive story. Negative, positive. There's actually more positive stories from the human race, which has been exposed on these social outlets. And so we just got to be careful on not only regulation, but also on blame uh, to not go for the easiest path for blame, but also understand that it's a shared piece. And then also understand that it's just we're kind of exposing stuff that already existed. Yeah, it's, it's an incredibly complicated topic. It's one of those you don't want to jump into too quickly. You want some thought process put around it. One of the things that's interesting from 11FS standpoint, we really do talk about transforming digital when it comes to financial services. It's just a key area for us and what that means. And you use a phrase, we've heard this many times, embracing digital to connect. Great phrase, by the way. I can see that on a slide. What does that mean to you? And, and how would you apply that into financial services? In my mind, when it comes to digital leadership and financial services, when you look at technology, it has less to do with bits and bytes and more to do with anthropology. It's more the human side. And so it's just what's the easiest way for us to connect. It's not to replace lunches and coffees. It's there when time and distance are an issue. It's how do I remove friction? Why does Amazon take off? Because they're removing friction. People don't want to waste time to go to the store to get something. And if it doesn't work, they don't want to have a friction-filled return activity that they have to do. So it's really about all about friction so that we can have a deeper human connection. And so when it comes to fintech, it's really, if you've got a tool, if you've got an app that allows me to actually pay someone quickly, seamlessly, and easily that I'm able to take that time that I saved there and put it back into deepening relationships and the stuff that I want to do most. And so that's what's a huge promise. We're starting to see some of it executed on within FinTech is really always thinking outside in versus inside out. Outside in, how do I move friction for my customer, my client? And then guess what? Every KPI Every goal, everything we want to achieve is going to be so much easier when we do it from an outside in thinking versus inside out thinking, meaning like what's best for us. If you think it inside, it's like what's best for us, then you'll lose, especially in the digital age. It's trying to figure out how do I move friction for a customer and client? And then all of a sudden, every goal that you're trying to achieve becomes much easier. Today, Customers are demanding greater value from financial services. They expect more agility, innovation, and security than ever before. Most financial institutions are held back by the shackles of closed legacy systems that limit transparency, block innovation, and ignore customers' demands. Finastra has a bold vision to unlock the potential of people and business. They've created a platform for open innovation in the world of financial services with FusionFabric.cloud. Their solutions span retail, transaction lending, and treasury and capital markets on-premise and in the cloud. Start your transformation journey today with Finastra.
Cybos, the world's premier financial services event, is landing in London's XL on the 23rd to the 26th of September. More than 8,000 decision makers and experts from across the globe will gather to shape the future of finance, and the opportunities for fintechs will be bigger than ever. Specially priced fintech tickets are available. Don't miss out. Book today at cybos.com. A question I'd like to ask you, because this is something that, again, with 11FS, we talk a lot about with our clients, is just what you said, look outside the industry, right? When you really want to get some great lessons on digital engagement, on folks that are doing incredibly well, and see why they're doing it different, right? And how are they approaching it? You definitely have the opportunity, as much as you speak and on the consulting side, to work with players across industries. Who do you think really gets it? I mean, can you give one or two examples of companies or leaders that really understand digital in this age? Yeah, I'll give you a couple of examples, but also just want to caveat it with that people are going to run off and think these people do everything right. But <laughs> people that do it well, people that do it well are people that constantly fail. How do you get digital disruption right? You fail and you fail constantly. Just so that people feel better at ease as they listen to this, especially at large institutions, Actually, one sector of the institution might get it, where a whole other sector might not get it within that institution. So I'll give you a couple of examples that seem to resonate because it shows how people can fail and then also capitalize on it. So when I was working with Disney, so think about Disney, people will go, oh, Disney does everything right. So Disney's amazing. People are great. I love it. Take my kids there all the time. In the meeting that we're in, it's when Instagram's starting to explode. Now, the issue, when you start inside thinking first, the issue with all these cameras, all of a sudden they start losing revenue from the pictures that they take in front of that Cinderella castle. And you've also got all these stuff happening. And so you can get into long cycle meetings, but then that meeting comes very short when you just ask the question, because I'm in there, I go, Let's just pause and go, if you're with your kids, because a lot of the folks there have kids, obviously, and you take them to the park, what would you want when you're there? You want to take a picture with your kid with your camera probably, right? And they're like, yeah. So how do we facilitate that? You want to take it in front of the castle where we've probably got these cameras set up, correct? And they're like, yes, of course, we'd like to do that. So then how do we make it so it's easy as possible for us to get that perfect picture of the kids and then go from there? Because that's what the customer wants. So when you start it from that aspect, all of a sudden it makes the flow and process much easier. Not super easy because I'll get into that in a second. So then you start going to that flow of that process. And I'll try to do this hyper accelerated. So all of a sudden you go, okay, they're there. Let's make sure that they can get a picture where we have our camera set up. Great let them share. Perfect. So they're allowed to have their phones. Great. So they get their phones, they can post on Insta. Perfect. Now, if they ask, can they have the professional take the picture? So you've got the lawyer going, no, 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 no. They can't do that because they might drop the person's phone. They'll break it. We'll be liable. Then we go, let's go outside thinking. If we said no to that person, how would it make you feel? Wouldn't make me feel good. Okay. Who cares? We'll figure it out. That might happen. We might drop it. We'll deal with that. If they ask the professional to take a picture, let's have the professional Disney photographer take the picture with their phone and also take the professional picture. So if the phone doesn't come out, we've got the backup, then we can still make money. But most importantly, they're happy because they got that photo one way or the other. And by doing that, all of a sudden, within months, 
the happiest place on earth becomes the most Instagram place on earth. That's the word of mouth on digital steroids. And now they've got free marketing because people are posting all these images across Instagram. And so that's what I mean by that inside out thinking and also about failing. Like you're going to fail. You're going to have that meeting where you go, no, we can't do that because of liability. We can't do it because of this. Or we're going to lose money. And that's that inside thinking. So you got to fail and then go, okay, let's pause and think about if we were an individual at the park with our kids, how would that look? And so that's just one example of how that, that can play out. Yeah, you just made the whole team in London happy because that's uh, a key theme of, of our engagement with a lot of our clients is around jobs to be done, which I know you're infinitely familiar with, which completely change your aspect, right? Uh, you're not focused on a product. You're focused on what a customer is actually trying to accomplish, what their goal is, what they're doing. So it's pivoting that whole view. And it's amazing what comes out of that. As you were talking, I, was, I almost Googled uh, most Instagram place in the world. And I knew, no, it's that Disney <laughs> castle, which is about an hour and a half from my house. You're right. It is amazing though, it? You, when you have that. So, yeah. I, I'm, so I'm curious, because this is a major issue with fintech companies globally that we deal with, which is customer acquisition. It's, it's marketing, it's digital, it's, it's weaving those two together. Actually, according to my notes here, you were a professor of marketing for five years. What, what university was that at? Uh, that was at the Holt Institute. Uh, it was at the Holt University, which is out of, it's in actually seven countries now. And then I was fortunate because I was in Cambridge. Then they were launching edX.org, which is the MIT Harvard initiative to put all the online content on for free. So I was actually sitting there with those guys and they're amazing. And not Agarwal still runs it. edX.org, it's a free education from Harvard, all, MIT, and also a hundred universities now around the world. So it's just an amazing world in which we live in the type of disruption that's happening now also on the educational side when we think about something like that. And now you're based out of Austin. So you're surrounded by tech companies because Austin more or less has become in, you know, what Silicon Valley was maybe five, 10 years ago with the growth that you have there. So if you were to go out and do one of these startup happy hours and speak, if you looked at these company founders and you were talking about digital and you're talking about customer acquisition, what's the one or two pieces of advice you give everyone? Learn to say no. Oh, that's Focus not where I thought you were going to go. <laughs> yeah. Good answer. Learn to say, everyone should not be your customer. And so it's figuring out what are you going to focus on and just do that and be world-class at that thing. Cause there's going to be a million opportunities that come at you. You're going to, you're going to drown in the sea of opportunity. And so it's really about, this is what we do. We're going to be the best in the world at it with the lens of the customer or client through B2B. And so it's really just figuring out what that is and just being super diligent on saying no to all these amazing opportunities. And then understanding that you're probably not going to get it right right away. And so being willing to pivot and adjust when the moment comes up to do that. Uh, an example of at a bigger scale, this isn't a startup, but a, from a tech company to where they were lucky because they did what a lot of us would do and kind of wanted to straddle the fence and do both things when the disruption in the outside world had occurred. So I'm not going to say this company right away because you'll probably figure it out as I, I talk about it. There's a company that had disrupted a space. So they came in and they were the disruptor and displaced a huge brand that then went out of business. And so they're going crazy. Things are going amazing. But then the market shifted again. 
And they did what a lot of us would do. They go, okay, the market's shifting here. We know it's going here, but our cash cow is right here. So let's keep the cash cow and then we'll launch this other thing in this new market. And so we're going to try to have our cake and eat it too. And a little hint, the thing that they launched, they called Quickster. And yeah. so they launched this thing called Quickster. And then the stock immediately just nosedives. It tanks, which in hindsight, is actually a good thing that that happened. Because if it was just a blip, they would have kept on the path of the two things. But since it was so poorly received, that was a huge advantage for them. Didn't seem like it at the time. But then they quickly adjusted, course corrected, and said, okay, we've got to kill this. We've got to kill this current cash cow. Try to figure it out to Netflix. Netflix yeah. said, we can't keep shipping DVDs. Let's go all in on live streaming. Ironically enough, if the market hadn't received it so poorly, they might have gone the way of the people they disrupted, Blockbuster. So crazy to think that just a couple years after they disrupted someone, they almost made the exact same mistake. That's how hard this stuff is. Because uh, it's just in our human nature to kind of have both. And so that's just a really compelling example to remind ourselves of the ability to say no. And also, once you start to achieve success, there's an old saying in Silicon Valley, if someone's going to eat your lunch, it might as well be you. Meaning that if you have the iPod and you are making billions of dollars off the iPod, but the new smartphones coming out to have music, you've got to be the one to cannibalize your own product first. Again, if someone else is going to eat your lunch, it might as well be you. Yeah, so without directly saying and stating bank names, you just had a great message to the entire industry. <laughs> I can tell you that right now, especially <laughs> when they look at, at fintech. All right, so before we wrap up, there's uh, some question we always like to ask the folks that we have when we do these interviews around your background and the learnings that you've gained over your career when you look back on that. So two quick questions, all right? One what do you know today that you wish you knew five or 10 years ago? What's the one thing other than green glasses, by the way? <laughs> the one thing that I wish I knew today that I didn't know five to 10 years ago is just play the long game. That it's a long game. It's funny because you've got to be impatient. So it's weird. It's a balance, right? It's the gray. It's the world of gray. It's not black and white. So I'd say play the long game. You want to be impatient in terms of if you're going to write a book, let's get it done and get it as complete as quickly as we can. But the long game meaning do it right and understand that when you launch that book, it might not be perfect at first. So you got to play the long game. Or if you look at it from, if you're looking for the financial services sector, I was fortunate to be with a large bank and they hired me to do 24 city tour. Six years they've done it. Now they're going on the 11th year. So that's what I mean by the long game is that, that when they're able to deepen the relationship with their small business owners to do that FinServe, to have that each and every year where they have that face-to-face -face with their customer and they're bringing the latest and greatest speaker in terms of technology, but it's that combination of that offline and the online. It's really that ability to play the long game with that customer. All right. Second question. And this one, I can't wait to hear the answer to just because you've had the opportunity to sit with some incredible leaders over your career. So I'll be fascinated to see what comes out of this. So what's the one best piece of career advice or life advice as a whole that you've received? And who is it from, by the way? It's, you know, it's the genesis is attributed to Henry Ford, but when I'm fortunate to be backstage with all these thought leaders, it's probably the top quote that comes up. 
And it's one that I embrace. And it's the one that's been the best for my career is whether you think you're going to fail, whether you think you're going to succeed, you're right. And then what we like to do is we just say, let's even simplify that down to have fun and help people. Have fun and help people. If you think about that from your employee base, if your employees having fun, then everyone's going to be a good spot. If your employees having fun and they're helping people, long term, you're going to win. And so that's what we always like to embrace is have fun and help people. But if you back that out, it's really about whether you think you're going to fail, whether you think you're going to succeed, you're right. Um, and I love these questions because then they'll get me going. But like when you think about a glass being half full or half empty, Empty. I think it's 100% full. It's it's half full of water and half full of oxygen. Um, that doesn't mean you're gonna have, not going to have bad days. It means that you know we're living the greatest time ever. There's obviously challenges, especially as pioneers. You're going to get pushed back. That's a signal you're pioneering. That if it was easy to already be done, but it's really about understanding that this is the greatest time ever to live because success is truly a choice. And that doesn't mean it's easy and it doesn't mean you're going to get it right the first time. It just means if you stick at it, play the long game, that success is simply a choice. And you've been talking quite a bit lately because I've been looking at some of your social feeds about the, the power of just showing up. <laughs> and I'm laughing because I had just had a bunch of contractors build a pergola for me in my backyard. You know, if you show up, it's amazing. It is a significant part of the battle, isn't it? It's actually just actually showing up in the first place, being ready. No, I love that. I mean, I love it. No, you're 100% right. And in that contract, we've all been there. We've probably got our own best contractor story. And there's amazing contractors, obviously. But when you look at that, you can always just say, okay, my choice is I'm going to either get frustrated, which is natural. I might get a little frustrated for a second. I'm not a perfect human being. Like, oh, my God, this is crazy. But then you can always go, wow, that's the competition. If I ever need to start a contractor business, I could crush it. Or enter, <laughs> replace the word contractor with any business. That's the best thing. That's some other advice I got was, hey, if there's something that you can repeatedly see that's frustrating you, then either stop complaining about it or go and change it, right? Like Maya Angelou, either, either do something about it or stop complaining about it. So that's the way you can start to see that friction to where is disruption. So it's easy right now for me to see what can be disrupted, obviously healthcare, but the airline industry, because you talk to most travelers, they're not that happy about airline travel. And so you go, all right, I'm not going to complain about it until I actually disrupt that because that's ripe for disruption. So Eric, I want to thank you for your time. I'm, I'm going to do this equal man. You the man. Thank you. <laughs> I enjoy having you on. So, so for the listeners who aren't familiar, what's the best place to find out more about, about you, your books, and where you're going to be? Yeah, anything we can do to help you. All we're trying to do is entertain, educate, and empower people to their best life. And so I'm easy to find. It's just equal man across the board. So just equal man. And we've got every medium you can think of, podcasts, website, yeah. all that fun stuff. So anything we can do to help, just reach out to us and we're going to help. Yeah, for our listeners, you think 11FS understand branding? Follow Eric. <laughs> You'll some masterclass there. Well, as for me, you can find me at Sam Mall on Twitter. Thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, subscribe to our podcast. Leave us a review. Don't forget to pass the podcast along. If you know anyone who loves fintech as much as we do, who isn't listening to it, tell them about the show. If you have any questions or feedback, please reach out on Twitter or email podcast at 11FS.com. Thanks everybody for listening. Mm-hmm.